0: I'm sitting here with Farago. You might know him as Andrew Farrago. I think that's awesome, by the way, because it's very superhero soundy. You know, um, it's, it's kind of cool, man. I like it. It gives you a lot of credibility right. in this world. Um, so you wrote the, the definitive volume on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Full title, what is it?
1: Okay, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Ultimate Visual History. It's incredible. Published uh, uh, by Insight Editions uh, in 2014
0: that is i mean that's a pretty it sounds profound this thing was actually historic though wasn't it because nothing's really been collected or created m- to this level right
1: this was yeah this was when my my editor uh chris prince approached me he just kind of he just kind of called out of the blue and said like what do you know about the teenage mutant ninja turtles and what don't i know what doesn't yeah. know? <laughs> like uh yeah like everybody um Like everybody who grew up in the '80s, I obviously knew the TV show. I knew that it was, uh, I knew that it came from the black and white comic book. Uh, watched Watched the movie in the theater, ate the cereal, bought the toys, the Mm. whole the whole nine yards. Mm. And like you know, like a lot of people, you know, I kind of, I, you know, I eventually kind of outgrew it. The, um, uh, I was I was really into the cartoon show and. As I got into high school and became an actual teenager, mm-hmm. um, a non mutant, yeah, non turtle, yeah, <laughs> uh, non ninja. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's up for debate, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But um, yeah, so I, I I stopped following it, and I was I was interested. Yeah, so when uh, when my editor asked about it, I said, yeah, I could I could do a book, and I, I gave him my pitch. I said I would start with uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, who are the creators of the original comic book and we'd we'd go from there and then follow it through uh and it was yeah it was it was about two years of research tracking down eastman laird their original studio mates the the producers and voice actors and people who worked on the cartoon Mm. Uh, i got to talk to one of my favorite parts was i got to interview brian henson son of jim henson Uh, and they did the costumes and the faces for the, uh, live action movie, the first two live action movies. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, re- there's really nothing cooler than talking to a Henson about puppetry. That's <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I, am I'm, I'm getting chills just saying that right now. They're and talking to a Beatle about music. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Brian sounds an awful lot like his dad. So talking to him on the phone and... Uh-huh. Getting the inside scoop on um, these suits and the animatronics and the remote controls and mm-hmm. the poor actors who had to wear these incredibly heavy, unforgiving foam latex suits yeah. in Georgia in like hundred degree heat with five thousand percent humidity. <laughs> <Right>. during the, <laughs> yeah, during during the the summer when they were filming. Yeah. Um, that's that was actually yeah I could go on about that too yeah well
0: the sweaty I think we'll keep the, the sweaty actors for for just to hang on to that for just a second <laughs> you know it's it's funny because I was a big teenage mutant, mutant ninja turtle so much to say Teenage mutant ninja turtle fan and one of the things I loved is that the old comics are a lot of fun but they're so different than like the cartoon because they're really dark there's a lot of people die uh, they're very gritty because they came in they're kind of like an indie comic mm-hmm. um, what were the circumstances uh, from their creation, like what did you get out of Eastman and Laird? Like, why did they create
1: these guys? Okay, uh, yeah, Eastman and Laird um, both huge comic book fans as kids. They were uh, especially into Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. uh, the king of comics. Um, you know, so and Kirby, Kirby just as a yeah, as an aside, he's the creator of or creator or co-creator of. Captain America, the Hulk, the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Thor, like like 90% of what you're seeing at the movie theaters right now. I
0: like that you said creator or co-creator, because there is some debate on (laughs) that. I think it's very funny. Uh,
1: So those guys, um, the New Gods, Mr. Miracle, Commandy, the Demon for DC Comics... Uh, you know, I you probably don't have enough tape <laughs> for me to cover. <laughs> it's all digital now, Andrew. Okay. I got plenty of hard drive space if Yeah, you okay. want to keep going. But again, they uh Kirby is one of their favorites. Uh they were both into uh co- the big comics of the early eight, late seventies, early eighties, so they were uh fans of Frank Miller who mm-hmm. um mm, had, had this groundbreaking run on Daredevil for Marvel Comics. Uh, One of the direct inspirations was a series he did for DC Comics called Ronin. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, Eastman Eastman and Laird were both commercial artists. They were both uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, You know, they grew up, they both grew up in New England. And a a mutual friend suggested that they, um, you know, you you guys would really get along. Like, I've... You know, I know you're both trying to make it as artists, but you guys are both into comics. I think you'd hit it off. Uh, so they met. They formed a studio called Mirage mm-hmm. Studios, and it's it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek name because their their studio really was a mirage. It was mm-hmm. just a corner of Kevin's apartment. Um, <laughs> and like, I may I met some of the, some of the specifics may be a little I may be a little rusty on because it was five years ago or more that I was. Uh, actually, writing the book, but that's okay. Uh, they, you know they called it Mirage Studios because it was not a real legitimate studio yet. And uh, they said so one one night, um, Kevin said, I think it was November nineteen eighty three. Uh, they were hanging out together, goofing around, and one of them drew a turtle with some nunchucks. And they thought this was funny, and they said, "Well, the only thing funnier is two turtles." So they passed this paper back and forth. They wrote. <laughs> did they nin- stopped
0: laughing after four. Is that what happened? <laughs> well, no. They they yeah,
1: um, <laughs> they wrote Ninja Turtles on the page. They thought it was funny. Uh, one of them added Teenage Mutant to it, and they laughed. And then, actually, when they did stop laughing, they said, "We might have something here." So they, <laughs> um, you know, they 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 developed it as a comic book. Um, Again, they were, they were broke commercial artists. They were doing mostly, you know, they're, they're doing ads for local, uh, you know, the, the, those little flyers that you have at mm. grocery stores, those circulars. They were doing right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, You know, pen, pencils for hire. They would do any kind of, like, your kid needs a birthday illustration or you need uh, this advertisement, you lost your dog, whatever. We'll, right. we'll jump in and do it. Uh, but they, they hit upon this billion-dollar idea. Um, and un- unlike a lot of artists, they actually followed through with this. They, they said, let's draw it up as a comic book. Um, publishers weren't especially interested or weren't willing to give them a good deal, so they, they opted for self-publishing. Um, I think Peter Laird had his tax return from that year, uh, so he, fi- he financed part of it. Uh, Kevin's, Kevin Eastman's cu- uh, uncle, Quentin, uh, they approached him with a business plan. They said, "If you can give us a loan, here's our plan. Here's how we'll pay you back." And they they made plans to debut it at this New Hampshire Comic Con uh, in May of 1984. So I do I do remember more dates than wow, I. Wow! Yeah, that's yeah.
0: incredible. Wow!
1: So they made they made plans for about a 3,000 issue black and white print run, and they expected we'll we'll take it to this convention. We'll probably sell. 20 copies there, and over the course of the next 10 years, we'll, we'll sell it and we'll pay back uh, Kevin's uncle. Um, but they had, they had the foresight to say, hey, nobody, nobody from New Hampshire, to the best of our knowledge, has done, um, has published a comic book. So let's, let's write up a press release. Uh, let's send this around. Uh, so they wrote up a press release uh, touting themselves as the first New Hampshire comic book. And um, really, that name just caught people's attention. They, they went to the, this is why you should go to your local library. They went to the library. They said, where do we submit this? How do we make sure that people hear about this? Uh, slow enough Newsweek that the Associated Press picked up on it, send that, sends out some photographers. Um, and so their book, before they even did this convention, their book sold out. So comic book. Wow, really?
0: They pre-sold it?
1: Uh, pre-sold it because uh, uh, comic book retailers said oh we need we need to get this so they ordered it um, so they've, they've had all they had more than 3,000 pre-orders for the book so whatever they sold at the convention that's that's just gravy uh, so immediately they were able to go back and do a second printing of this book uh, and this was, is just the first this issue just right? The first issue. right uh, that second printing that sold out immediately because they just couldn't keep it in stock at comic book shops Uh, And it was about it was around the uh, the time of the third or fourth printing, they realized maybe we should do a second issue. So they did that. So they said, let's let's try a second issue. The second issue, they were able to do a much higher print run than the first. And then they started crunching the numbers, and uh, Kevin said, you know, hey, if we if we, you know, if we eat mac and cheese for every single meal. you know and we do a third issue I think we can call ourselves professional comic book artists I think we can just do this full-time Wow um, and the comic book was it was really uh, what a lot of people don't realize it that was really a breakout hit
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that was a huge hit and they really could have um, kept it at that but because that uh, that name just sold itself so once you know what you're getting. Yeah, once once people and there there was nothing, uh, there was nothing like that. There was no name like that uh, in pop culture at the time. Uh, some people saw that, uh, that got interest from toy companies, got interest from animation companies, and um, you know they really had this kind of multi pronged attack. They hooked up with the guy named um, uh, Mark Freeman, and um, he was. Uh, his company is called Surge Licensing, and it was really um, it was really a one it was a one man operation. He'd worked on properties like Alvin and the Chipmunks before, um, but he came to them at exactly the right time. Made himself out to be, you know, he he'd printed out business cards so that he could pretend to be a bigger sure, look official, right? Um, you know, he he probably advertised himself as like the CEO and president, even though he was the the sole employee, right? Uh, but basically, he he came to them, uh, offered offered basically a trial period. He said, "Give me, uh, give me ninety days to give me thirty days to see what I can do. If that works, we'll re up for ninety days, and then we'll we'll go from there." Uh, so he immediately set up uh, talks with uh, toy companies, and uh, you know, just it just grew from there wow. exponentially, and it was. Everybody was in the. Everybody involved in this was just exactly, um, right place at the right time.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's funny. So, so it became a, you know, a sensational cartoon, which everyone really loved. Uh, very different, but very kid friendly. Um, you know, He-Man. You know, similar. They would sell lots of action figures. But this came. The story came before the action figures. Um, you know, it's so you did sixty interviews for this book. Probably the most comprehensive list of interviews for the history. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there's one very important interview you did not get, and I'm gonna no, see I'll if be you— surprised. Go ahead. I'm <laughs> gonna see. Do you, so do you think you got everyone? Let's see how confident you are. Do you think you got everyone?
1: I know. I know that. Uh, I know that I missed a few. There were people. Um, again, as, as there were people where schedules didn't match up, or people sure. who were traveling during the period I was writing the book. There were names that came up. Yeah, uh, people who reached out to me after the book was published.
0: Right. <laughs> um, Send everyone yeah. a little insert. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb. So one of the well, I remember from the cartoon one of the mo- the the catchiest theme song of all time, a real earworm, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. I'm going to guess you didn't talk to the guy who who wrote that, or did you?
1: I didn't. I did not manage to guess. I knew you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, but. Uh,
0: do you know who that is? Um,
1: I, na- I name-checked him in the book. I gave yeah. him his due for did you? writing and recording on the theme song.
0: So we're talking about Chuck Lorre, um, who is a monumental showrunner in, in Hollywood, who I've worked for. Um, not the most pleasant man to deal with. So I imagine <laughs> that you wouldn't have even blipped on his radar. Um, so if you... Did you try to reach out to him? Uh,
1: I, I didn't reach out. Uh, I got um, David Wise, who is the uh, who is the head writer on the show. Mm-hmm. and um, he was he was um, he was tapped for the show because he had animation writing experience, mm-hmm. and he was actually a, he was actually a diehard fan of the comic book. He bought every single issue. Hmm. So, um, again, when the when the studio approached him with the prospect of writing this, they were sure that they were going to stump him, and that like there's no way in a million years you've heard of this. And mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles." Yeah, I've got a, I've got every issue, <laughs> right. one shots. I'm I'm a huge fan. Right. Um, and he was he was the he was really the driving force behind transforming it from this gritty black and white indie comic to a kid friendly hmm. um, global <laughs> icon. Yeah. But he mentioned uh, yeah he mentioned Chuck and that Chuck actually sings on the theme song.
0: Wow. So I didn't know that he actually sings on the theme song.
1: Yeah. So the the um, the interjections like he's a radical rat. <laughs> that's uh, that's Chuck. That's,
0: that's incredible. I love that. I mean, yeah, he's 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 a character, man. He's he's mm-hmm. definitely a character. Uh, that's that's incredible. So you got you got almost everyone, and this is. There's one thing that's always kind of been strange. Now that I'm sitting here talking to you, some things are popping into my head. The first action figure I bought was a guy named Leatherface. And I don't think he ever actually appeared anywhere because um, he was a mutant crocodile. And on your website, you actually have a commission someone did of him, yeah. which stuck out of me because I was like, wow, I thought I was the only, only guy who knew Leatherface. Le- uh, Leatherhead. Leatherhead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez, I'm thinking of the, the cannibal killer from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Leatherhead. Leatherhead, yeah, God, I don't remember yeah. Leatherhead, but he's a mutant alligator. First um, action figure that I had. So, how did did they have a lot of these like weird mutant animals that they didn't use in the comics, or they did, or where did he come in?
1: Yeah, this was. Uh, he did show up in the. He showed up in the comic. The kid-friendly comic book uh, was published by Archie Comics.
0: Yes, because I had the first one. I had the f- I still have the first Archie's comic, which isn't worth nearly as much as the original yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah.
1: So and and Leatherhead did show up in the he showed up in the TV cartoon. Hmm. Um, this is you know East, Eastman and Laird. They were, um, yeah, smart guys. Like there were so many times they could have. Um, sold out sold out their business rights and cashed in um you know in the 80s that uh you know they had they had any number of offers like any number of um uh, major corporations were were willing to step in and give them you know what what probably would have been just a drop in the bucket like for their mm-hmm. you know controlling en- interests um ownership of the characters uh but they held on to it this is those are the two guys that I always hold up as examples when I, I tell young creators like read the contracts, get um, get a lawyer or or at least an experienced artist to look over your contract before you sign away any rights because this was um, these two guys made what on on one hand was like a silly parody of Frank Miller. Uh, comics and X-Men comics, um, you know, they, they made what could have been just this, this total flash in the pan thing. And they turned it into this global glo- international, famous, right. uh, major property.
0: Well, it's the, those in the Simpsons are very strange because the original does not seem fit for a cartoon, and yet they've lasted. You know, Simpsons going on thirty years. Uh, the Teenage Ninja Turtles. Part of them is it's luck because who knew that there would be such continued interest in this in cycles. You know, every twenty years, fifteen years, they come and, uh, back.
1: Yeah, I should say. Um, yeah, yeah. Where I was going with that was, um, you know, they were they were very cool. To work with, like the mm. um, their their original studio mates, uh, guys like Steve Levine and Ryan Brown, they tapped them to do merchandising art for them. Mm. Um, so, like as as the empire grew, um, the guys from their comic book studio, they made sure um, we're putting you into this pipeline. We're making sure um, that you guys are gonna um, profit from this, like. We're, we're we're the creators. We get we get the <laughs> we get the lion's share of it, but we want to share the wealth. Sure, um, you know. So they they tapped their studio mates to um, come up with more mutant animals, and we'll show them to the toy company Playmates. Um, you know that gets you a bigger check when these things hit the store shelves. Sure. Uh, so they that they really were about sharing the wealth. Um, even some of the more dubious. Decisions they made, like the the live action TV show that introduced a girl hmm. turtle. <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, in the mid, a lot of people don't. I don't uh, at people all. Who, people who do uh, have very strong opinions. They, I they introduced a so. girl turtle named Venus De Milo on a uh, mid '90s live action TV show that lasted for a season. Wow, uh, I don't know anything about that. So it's uh, you know it. it um, you know, it was a very controversial, and still well, some people will say it's a very controversial decision. Uh, but they did it because they had, um, you know, the cartoon had the cartoon had wound down; it had finally gone off the air, and you know, this this caused friction between Eastman and Laird because Laird was adamantly adamantly against um, adding a girl turtle. Um, Kevin Eastman ultimately said let's let's do it because I want to keep these guys I want to keep our studio employed at least another year while this show's in production uh-huh. uh, cuz they were they were facing layoffs otherwise
0: I did not know that
1: so you know they made they made some you know even even their even their more questionable artistic decisions it was it was so they could help their buddies which wow. you know i, I really uh, i really admire that about them
0: well so on that same note is that why Usagi Yojimbo became part of their world because he was his own comic book Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. so how did he get kind of incorporated in there cuz i know people he was made you know they, they had an action figure by playmates and everything yeah
1: uh, Stan Sakai a uh, brilliant cartoonist one of my favorite people in comics um, such such a nice guy um, he was an up-and-coming uh, indie comics creator. Um, he had he had maybe about a he had, he had a few years head start on Eastman and Laird when it came to uh, mm. you know black black and white mm-hmm. um, comics about animals anthropomorphic <laughs> doing, doing, animals right anthropomorphic <laughs> animals doing martial arts right yeah um, so yeah he does this brilliant comic um, still does it uh, called Usagi Ojimbo, uh, about a samurai rabbit in feudal Japan. Um, beautiful comic, painstakingly researched. Uh, again, Stan's one of the nicest guys around. Um, when the um, first Turtles comics came out, he did some of the earliest fan art. He did a, he did a drawing, hmm. sent it to them. Uh, they published it on the letters page, so they uh, struck up a correspondence. When the TV show hit and the cartoons um took off and just exploded and that led into this merchandising juggernaut. Mm, right. Stan says Kevin Eastman uh saw him at a convention and just kind of leaned over and said, "You want an action figure?" <laughs> <laughs> just very very casually like that. Stan yeah. said, "Sure." Uh so they figured out how to incorporate uh Usagi Yojimbo into the show. Um was a very uh caught on immediately. Cause how can you not love a samurai rabbit? Yeah. The uh, action figure is a huge seller. So Stan, yeah, it was, uh, again, these guys, these guys were totally about sharing the wealth. Uh, yeah. so Stan got a very nice paycheck for that. And Usagi still turns up in almost every subsequent Ninja Turtles cartoon that comes along. Um, a huge part of his fan base came to him mm-hmm. through the, uh, through that connection. Um, so yeah, um, Eastman and Laird were were very generous. Uh, Laird gave back to the comics community uh, directly with a grant. Um, hmm. Through he set up uh, basically because he was getting so many requests for money. Um, once you when you become an overnight millionaire, that just that just happens and.
0: You, everyone's got their hand in your pocket. Yeah, if you I, win the I, lottery, we get yeah. all family members you didn't know come out of the woodwork.
1: So he, he had so many requests that he was advised to set up an official foundation to handle these requests. That mm. way it's not, um, you know, that, that way, that way you're tracking this, you, there's some accountability. Uh, so he set up a foundation called the Zurich foundation and he, he, um, uh, doled out these self-publishing grants. So, uh, it was, it was about five a year people would come to him with, mm. um, You know, they'd send samples of their work. Here's my comic. Uh, Here's my plan for self-publishing, and you could win. I think uh, basically, at at the start, I think it was about a five thousand dollar grant, which was a huge windfall for creators, uh, especially in the pre Kickstarter era. Um, You get this money. You have this publishing plan. As long as you stick to it, show them the receipts. uh, You you get to self-publish this book. And Laird loved it because he got to be a patron of the arts, um, you know, and keep keep that next generation of creators uh, going. And that was that was very cool. Um, Eastman. Um, it's funny. There's there's such a contrast in personalities because Laird Laird was um, Laird was about a decade older. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. So he was he was married. He was settled down. So he had he had a more um, very down to earth approach to this, um, Kevin Eastman opened his own cartoon museum, the words and pictures museum, um, in Massachusetts. Um, he went out and bought a Batmobile, <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, like literally the, the, one of the 1989 model Batmobiles.
0: Wow, that's one of the best ones, I think.
1: Yeah. He bought that. He, um, you know, he bought artwork from his friends, um, Lost about $7 million starting his own comic book publishing house. Wow. Um, you know, beca- in, in part because he was giving very generous contracts uh, to his friends to produce comic books. Yeah. The type of stuff that he wanted to see. Um, I mean, it
0: worked for Image, but... Yeah.
1: And, well, you know, but he he just didn't have a, you know, his heart was in the right place, but he didn't have a great business plan for it. Yeah. Um but you know, like we, um, all the all the comic book creators I know, um, you know, we we love Kevin Eastman because he really, he really walked the walk. Like we all say, yeah, if I ever if I ever had a twenty million dollar windfall, then I would, I would throw money at all my friends and just tell them to make awesome comics and. Uh, He's he's the guy that actually did that.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. Here's the cynic in me, uh, Andrew This is the cynic in me for every obviously you spread the wealth around but yeah, of course if you bring Usagi Yojimbo on board well, okay, you're gonna give you know Stan Sakai money, but also that's, if you're given 80-20, you're still getting 80% of this brand new character. Now you're having all of your friends create characters for you that you don't have to worry about whether they're gonna work or not. You incorporate them and then you profit off that. So it's just a business sense, you know. It's 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 not charitable, it's still business. Uh, it's a nice thing to do, but also, he's also making out on it too. So it's not, sure. you know, it's not the, uh, the goodness of his heart. It just sounds like he's a great businessman and was able to spin it. But you can't spin it past me, man. And I see through that stuff. I know what's going on there, and it's I, fine.
1: I, I will. I will say, like, they never took um, any hint of ownership of Usagi Yojimbo, so that's always been. 100%. That's fair. Yeah, but I mean, as
0: far as it's in the comic book, though, right? I mean, it's still in. If it's in the Turtles' world, it's still that's now part of the that's, Turtles' canon, yeah. and so then they do get profit off that, right?
1: That's a that's a split, but you know, that's that's um, you know, in a way, that's. In a way, that's that's like found money for Stan. So that's, like, sure. that's my character. That's a commercial that will bring people to my comic Exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, he sold more comics after that, I'm sure. Yeah. It worked for both. It's mutually yeah. beneficial. I'm not saying it's, yeah. you know, predatory. It's not predatory yeah. lending yeah. in any way. Uh, all right, last question, and this is the most important, and it may lead back to Chuck Lorre, but I don't think he wrote this. Do you know all the words to the turtle rap from The Secret of the Ooze?
1: You know, I'm prohibited by law. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get you guys in copyright. I should, yeah, I'll have, I've got a good, a couple of good asides about that. Okay.
0: All right. Well, I'll say that, I'll take that as a yes. I feel like you're the kind of guy who at home in the shower and possibly in front of a mirror out of the shower probably recites that on a daily basis. Yeah.
1: So yeah, the two, the two things about the Ninja Rap and Vanilla Ice, um, my, uh, my older brother, uh, Mike and, and his wife, Amelia, uh, their first date, they, they met, um, you know they were they dated in high school, uh, and their very first date was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to The Secret of the Universe. That is absolutely bizarre. They're, they're still they're happily married <laughs> today. Yeah. And uh, you know that's that will always and forever be their their first date.
0: Was that played in the in the, at their wedding? Was
1: the, I, I pushed for it and <laughs> you know, I was, was shouted down.
0: Oh um, man, that's unfortunate.
1: But that was actually yeah. That was actually. Years before I, I uh, wrote this book, right? Uh, no, I'd imagine so. But yeah, the book, um, yeah, like I said, I, I was covering every aspect of the turtles, from the comic books to the video games to the merchandising, and one of those obviously was the movie, and that's how, through like a series of um, email inquiries, I managed to get a hold of Vanilla Ice's. Agent.
0: Wow. And, Robert Van Winkle for everyone else. Yeah.
1: And so he put me in touch with him. And, um, you know, just before he was, he was going on stage, uh, I think, I think somewhere in Texas, I got the, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of like, this might happen. This might not. And then yeah. I got the, I got the call like be ready. Yeah. Uh, be ready. Call this number at exactly three o'clock. Yeah. We've got about, you know, half an hour for you to talk to. To Rob. They, you know, they called him Rob when they were yeah. setting it up. And it's like, I'm, I'm on the phone with Vanilla Ice. That's insane. Turtles. So, <laughs> you know, i Turtles. I kept looking around to make sure, like, my hidden camera show? Is this, is this real?
0: Um, Unbelievable.
1: He was, he was such a cool guy. Like, he was he was a lot of fun. He I believe was, that. He was very, um, you know, he may have embellished some of his stories a little bit. Yeah. But, who uh, doesn't? Who doesn't? I not Absolutely.
0: Um, How do I know that this story isn't embellished? How do I know?
1: But you know, he—that's that's another guy that walks the walk. He's got a Ninja Turtle tattoo <laughs> on his calf. And, I didn't know that. Um, collects the toys. Um, one of his, yeah. Um, I've, I've signed actually multiple copies of the book for him because yeah. I, I made sure that we sent him one upon publication, and yeah. then um, one of his. Um, yeah, one of one of his fans who works with him wrote to me and said, like, yeah, you know, Rob would Rob's birthday is coming up, so we really need a, um, you know, can you do can you do a personalized book and like sign it and do yeah. sketch in it? And it's like, yeah, I'll,
0: of course, gotta do that. Rob, wait, Rob, who? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, um, oh, Mr. Ice, you got it.
1: One of the other one of the other really fun movie interviews I did was uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. Oh wow. Um, so. Awesome guy, very very nice, down to earth. Um, runs runs a string of martial arts studios where he's teaching the next generation. Uh-huh. Uh, he was one of those poor guys who was uh, buried under a turtle costume in the first movie. He was, mm-hmm. a, he was a stunt double. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, probably uh, sweated off ten or twenty pounds every day. Wow. Uh, wearing this giant heavy suit where you're still expected to be able to do back right yeah crash through walls <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you know every, everybody who meets him loves him they they were uh they liked him so much on the set of the first one that they gave him uh you know facetime in the second movie so he got to be Kino, the pizza delivery oh guy, wow uh who obviously a pizza delivery guy who knows martial arts is going to be best friends with the turtles of course that um, would make so sense to me second movie on screen um, and when when the book came out, I got to do a panel at San Diego Comic Con. Oh, cool! So I had Kevin Eastman, I had Ernie Reyes Jr. Wow! Uh, and I had Townsend Coleman, the voice of Michelangelo, and some yeah. other uh, other people involved with the Turtles. All on stage, we had a packed house.
0: Yeah, I would imagine so. That's Ernie, incredible.
1: Ernie is so awesome that he for this panel he showed up wearing the same pizza guy jacket that he wears <laughs> in the movie. So, uh, he came up on stage, he's wearing his pizza boy delivery outfit, he sits down, introduces himself as Kino, the crowd goes nuts.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. Um,
1: Townsend Coleman, the voice of Michelangelo, um, you know, you've got a heart of stone if you hear him yell, cowabunga, and you don't react to it. <laughs> um, so, you know, my, my, my work there was
0: done. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You worked there. Um, you know, this, it sounds like an incredible roller coaster and I will end it with this. I think it's incredibly impressive that you were able to get Vanilla Ice and not Chuck Laurie for this book. That is, that is so fitting. That's the priorities. Uh, yeah, priorities. No, it's in- incredible stuff. Uh, name of the book again, for those listening, they can pick it up.
1: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Ultimate Visual History. So you can order that, um... You know, I'd prefer you you go to your local independent bookseller and see if you can order it there. Uh, if you order it through me, andrewfarrago.com, uh, I'm happy to sign it and sketch it for you, um, including uh, book plates signed by Eastman and Laird, so we can Oh, that's awesome. a nice upgrade that way.
0: That's awesome. I'll have a link for that on the website. Andrew, thank you so much for taking time out for this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle break. Thank you. All right, thank you, and thanks everyone for listening. Have a good night.